Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. All right, Paula. Today I'm bringing you one of those cases that I can't get out of my head. Now, this is one that has been reported on quite a lot. Most true crime followers will be pretty familiar with the facts of this case and some of the rumors that surround it. So today we're going to talk about the death of Rebecca Zahal. So Rebecca Zahal was a 32-year-old woman who was living with her millionaire boyfriend, and his name was Jonah Shacknai. And Jonah made his millions as the founder of a pharmaceutical company. Rebecca and Jonah had been dating for about two years, and they lived together in a home that Jonah owned that was known as the Spreckles Mansion. And this was a historical home, actually. It's been around for quite some time. The Spreckles Mansion is a giant 27-room beachfront property in Coronado, California. And Coronado is a resort city that's located in San Diego Bay. Wow, that sounds beautiful. Yes. I dug a little deeper. It's 10 bedrooms and 11 bathrooms. Wow. Because I hear 27 bedrooms and I'm like, oh, or 27 rooms. I'm sorry. That's pretty big. But, you know, that's your kitchen. That's your, you know, your living room. Your home office. Yeah, all these things. So, like, but when you say 10 bedrooms, 11 bathrooms. That's still That's a a big house. That's a lot of cleaning. (laughs) No, thanks. Something tells me they may have had help for that. But I don't know for sure, actually. Okay, so before dating Rebecca, Jonah had been married twice, actually. But the most recent marriage was to a woman named Dina Shacknai. And from that marriage, he had a six-year-old son named Maxfield, who went by the name Max. And from his marriage before that, he had two older children. So the story I'm going to tell you today begins on July 11th, 2011, when six-year-old Max was home alone with Rebecca and Rebecca's 13-year-old sister, Zena, who was actually visiting Rebecca and Jonah from Missouri, where she lived with their parents. It was the last day with his two older children. I guess they'd all been kind of like hanging out there at the summer house for the summer. Jonah was getting the two older kids ready, and he was going to take them to the airport so they could fly back home to their mother. And then after he saw them safely onto the plane, he was going to go to the gym. So it was during this time that Rebecca was home alone with Max and her sister, Zena, who was again 13 years old during this time Rebecca was in the downstairs bathroom while her sister was in another bathroom taking a shower when Rebecca heard a loud noise and she thought it sounded like either a crash or maybe a dog barking so obviously she went to check out what it was that could have made this noise and when she did she found six-year-old Max laying on the floor in the foyer at the bottom of the stairs. Also on the floor next to him were some like scattered soccer balls. It looked like maybe some of the railing from the stairways had like kind of splintered and broken and that was laying around. Then laying on top of Max's leg was his scooter and the chandelier that hung from the ceiling in the middle of the stairwell was also laying on the floor. So this was like a huge mess. A huge accident. A huge disaster. 
So as Rebecca is like processing this scene, and I cannot imagine walking into this scene and just trying to figure out what it was happened, she assumed pretty quickly that Max had somehow fallen down the stairs, which I think is a fair assumption. Right. That's what I was thinking. But then how does the chandelier come into play? Well, we'll like, did he jump up and grab it? Right. Well, we'll find out that Max did not fall down the stairs. Okay. We'll find out what happened. But that was just like her first thought as she like walked in and was processing everything mentally. If you look at a photograph of this room, it's one of those staircases that it's not just a straight set of steps going just straight up. It like kind of turns, but it's also, it's not a spiral staircase and there's actually no curves in the staircase at all. It's all like sharp angles. So if you're standing on the first floor at the base of the stairs, you would see the first set of stairs just going straight up in front of you. And then at the top of that is a landing. It's kind of like a catwalk that you can only turn left on. Then at the end of that, another set of steps going up in the opposite direction of the first one. It's actually like a really standard type of stairwell. It's only confusing when you try to describe it (laughs) the way I'm doing. But essentially, it's two sets of stairs separated by a landing, you know, in the shape of maybe like a commercial stairwell shape. And from the top of that landing, which was a hallway upstairs... You could look down to the bottom floor, and it was in that space that there's a chandelier hanging from the ceiling. All right, so when Rebecca finds Max, he wasn't breathing, and he seemed unresponsive. She starts screaming for her sister, Zena, who comes to see what's going on after getting out of the shower and getting dressed quickly. And Rebecca tells Zena, hey, call the police. Zena has to look around for a couple minutes to find Rebecca's cell phone. But she eventually finds it, and she calls police, and they instruct Rebecca to perform CPR on Max. When rescuers arrived at the scene, they were able to get Max breathing again, but not before he had been without oxygen for almost 30 minutes. And that's a long, long, long time. Yeah, it is. That's going to be severe brain damage. Severe, severe. Like, after 10 minutes, I think, your brain is considered dead. Right. So 30 minutes... It's, it's pretty dire. And, of course, the lack of oxygen did cause him to suffer irreversible brain damage. Max was taken to the hospital where he would remain until, unfortunately, he did die five days later. Now, according to a deposition later taken of Max's mother, Dina, the doctors were originally hopeful about Max, that he might make a recovery, and Dina said that initially she had thought that he would be out of the hospital within a week. But an autopsy was performed on Max after his death, and it showed that Max had suffered numerous facial fractures, hyperextension of a spinal cord that stopped his heart and cut off oxygen to his brain. In addition to these injuries, it was noted that Max had gone into cardiac arrest after the fall. Now, that's not typical. No, that's really weird. Right, for a six-year-old to go into cardiac arrest. Yeah. However, they were able to take a look at his his injuries and and line it up, make it match. But it's just not necessarily typical. But it's not unheard of. It could be explained. But it was enough to make a clinical social worker who was working on the case call the incident peculiar. Later, a trauma doctor who examined Max prior to his death told the police that he did not believe the injuries from Max's fall were consistent with the cardiac arrest and the brain swelling experienced by Max, and he suggested that Max may have actually suffocated prior to his fall. So no one really knows for sure, obviously, as allegedly no one witnessed what actually happened. 
investigators were able to piece together that Max did not fall down the stairs. Instead, he may have been riding his scooter upstairs and somehow hit the railing with such velocity that he was able to go over the railing or through the railing. And then on his way down, he would have hit or grabbed the chandelier, bringing it down with him before he landed face first on the floor. Another theory as to what may have caused him to fall was there was a question as to whether or not maybe his dog had possibly gotten his way and that had caused him to crash. Oh, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Investigators thought this might have happened because Rebecca reported hearing Max trying to say the word ocean and ocean is the name of their family dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. So some people think that was him trying to tell her that ocean caused him to fall. Right. Other people believe Max may have just been delirious at that point or even looking for a way to comfort himself. And so maybe he was like calling for his best friend, the dog. Uh, Ocean. Yeah, that makes sense too. So we don't really know. Ultimately, the Coronado Police Department did determine that Max's death was accidental. But Max's mother, among others, was not happy with this conclusion. And her words were, things just didn't add up to me. So Dina was so suspicious that there was more to her son's demise that she asked for Max's death to be reinvestigated the following year in 2012. And she even hired her own forensic pathologist, a Dr. Judy Melanek, who also disagreed with the accident finding. And she said that she believed Max was assaulted by another person in the hallway near the banister on the second floor. She also said that given Max's injuries, it would have been impossible for Max to say the word ocean like Rebecca said he did. Dina and those close to her are definitely leaning more towards foul play being involved with Max's death, but she did make it clear that she doesn't necessarily think Rebecca is the one who caused Max's death. Even though Dina had asked the police department to please reopen this case, the Coronado Police Department refused to do so, again citing Max's death as a tragic accident. Let's stop here and talk about this scenario. Because like I said in the beginning, if you know this case, you know Max's injuries are just the beginning of this case. And there's a lot of theories and speculation about what exactly may have happened. Some of the theories and issues that people have brought up are just like Rebecca's story about how this happened. And one of the big issues that some people have is, you know, if Rebecca was in charge of watching Max, why was he left alone? Exactly. Do you have thoughts on that? Now, you don't have kids. I don't know if you've done a lot of babysitting. I did. Okay. Not that I'll leave this part in, but that was one of the reasons I decided not to have kids. (laughs) Please leave that in. (laughs) By the time I was 17, I was just like, this is not for me. <laughs> I don't know Max, obviously. You right. Know, I don't know his personality. But perhaps right. mm-hmm. maybe he was doing his own thing and she kept saying, you know, knock it off. Let's just sit down, watch a movie, whatever. And, no, I'm going to do my own thing. And, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. And went off and did his own thing. See, it's really hard for me to guess. Sure. Do you have any problems with him being left alone for this to happen. Like, now, she, remember, she's in the bathroom, so it's not like she's, you know, taking a nap or anything like that. Right. She's in the bathroom. He's six. I have a four-year-old, and we don't even live in a 27-room mansion, and I am not always in the same exact room in the same exact place right beside him. Now, my two-year-old, yes, you can't leave him alone for more than a, a minute or two because he's still at the so age little, where he can get yeah. into something. 
But the four-year-old, you know, I could I could leave him. I can go take a shower. Max was six. And again, like you said, we don't know him. We don't know his personality. But at six, you should definitely be able to, like, go to, go the, to the bathroom. bathroom. Yeah. And not put him in front of a TV or something. Now, I don't think I'd necessarily be letting a child run around on a scooter Inside in the, the house, house. Exactly. Upstairs. Right. Is it something where his scooter just lived in his room upstairs and he just happened to ride on it for a minute or had he been and in that case in that one minute something bad happened or had he been riding around on his scooter for an hour upstairs and nobody was paying attention to what he was doing right that we don't know we'll we'll never know and that's why it's hard to guess is because there's too many variables right okay so that takes us to like another thing that some people have a problem with is how did the fall itself happen it would take a lot of strength velocity speed power all of that for someone to make it over that railing, especially a little kid. So the average six-year-old is about 45 inches tall and weighs about 45 pounds. Handrail heights on stairs are at least 34 inches, but generally no taller than 38 inches. So if we use those numbers, then there was between seven and 11 inches between the top of the railing and the top of Max's head. So now imagine running or riding a scooter or doing something that would cause you to fall or fly over a railing that is only 7 to 11 inches shorter than you. Right. And again, I have to ask about the chandelier. How did that come into play? Like how long was it was the chain that it was hanging from? Was it long enough for him to grab onto? Okay, that's a good question. And I pulled up a picture of this and was looking at the photos. The chandelier itself, I would say the chain was pretty long. Okay. And the chandelier itself was kind of on the height of that first landing. If you take into consideration that two sets of stairs, but together they equal one story. Right. I would say that's where that chandelier was. So the chandelier was certainly not as high as I was at first imagining. It wasn't like at the top of these high ceilings. It It was a little lower. The official statement from the police is that he hit it going down that he fell in their mind this is 100 percent an accident and i tend to think so too i definitely don't think rebecca was involved in any way if there was any foul play i don't think she had anything to do with it now should a six-year-old be riding a scooter upstairs in the house by a set of stairs regardless of whether or not there's a landing because that's the other thing at the top of the stairs it was kind of like a catwalk so you know those houses where like it's almost like a loft area, the second story is yeah. a loft. Now there's bedrooms up there and but at the very top of the stairs it was open. Yeah. I wouldn't want my kid to be running around up there anyway. Right. By stairs. A lot of people say it would have been impossible for him to have the velocity to go over that railing or to even go through that railing. Yeah, you'd have to be going really fast. Really fast, really hard. And I get that. One of my kids is almost daily doing something that I'm like How in the world did you do that? Mm -hmm. Just a daredevil. So a lot of it has to do with personality. Yeah. You know, some kids are going to sit there in front of a movie and be quiet. And some kids are going to find a way to literally swing from a chandelier. Yeah. If there's a way. They're going to find it. They're going to find it. So I would not say it is out of the realm of possibility. Okay. So the, the very next day after Max's fall. Rebecca, her little sister, Zena, who, again, had been visiting, was scheduled to go back home to her parents. So Rebecca took Zena back to the airport. And while she was there, she picked up Jonah's brother, Adam Shacknight. Now, Adam had been alerted either by text or phone call that 
Max had fallen, and it's his nephew. He's six years younger than Jonah. And he said they were relatively close growing up, as close as you could be with that age gap. Jonah's and Adam's parents told Adam, hey, you need to go be with your brother during this time. Adam was unable to reach Jonah and actually speak to him, but he was able to talk to Rebecca and he asked her, should I come into town? And she said, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you what to do. I think you should do what you think is right. And then Adam ends up coming to town. So Rebecca takes her sister to the airport, picks Adam up. Now, Adam lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and he was actually a a tugboat captain. Interesting. Yeah. And his work schedule was pretty cool. He worked 28 days on Mm -hmm. and then would have 28 days off. Nice. Yeah. Kind of a cool work schedule. And I don't know what you have to do as a tugboat captain, but I imagine it being kind of nice to be on the water. I'm sure it's hard work physically, but it also sounds kind of fun. So the night he came into town, the very next day after Max's accident, Rebecca, Jonah, and Adam all went out to dinner with one of Rebecca's friends. And then after dinner, Rebecca and Adam returned to the Spreckles Mansion property while Jonah went back to the hospital to stay with Max. And this is really important. We need to know this, that it was confirmed that both Jonah and Dina were at the hospital during these next events that I'm going to tell you about. So Adam and Rebecca get back to the mansion property. And according to Adam, he went straight to bed, had the best night's sleep ever. That's his story. Instead of staying in the 27-room main house, he stayed in the property's guest house. I find that a little interesting, and maybe I'm making something out of nothing. If events hadn't turned out the way they did, then I probably wouldn't think anything of it. But in hindsight, I do think it's a little weird that Jonah has a mansion with 10 bedrooms, 11 bathrooms. And when Adam came into town, instead of staying in that in that main house, which obviously has plenty of space, he chose to stay in the guest house. Yeah, that is a little weird. Do you think it's like really weird, or do you just think it's a little weird? I'd give it a 6 on a scale of 10. Okay. Now, I I did think about it, and I thought, why would you do that? And I did come up with two things that I think could possibly make sense. So the first of which is, remember, Jonah is at the hospital pretty much 24-7. And when he's not at the hospital, he's actually staying at a Ronald McDonald house that's right near the hospital. Oh, okay, yeah. So Adam's brother's not there. It's just Rebecca. Right. Is it possible that maybe he didn't know Rebecca very well or even Rebecca didn't know him very well and because they didn't have Jonah there as a buffer, maybe that's why they chose to like stay in separate spaces? Yeah, that scenario makes sense. Keep any awkwardness out? Exactly. Not that you wouldn't still be able to have plenty of space in that big house. Right. You, there's plenty of empty plenty of space. Bedrooms. Yeah, they don't have to be sharing a wall. Right. Also, the common areas, the kitchen, things like that, you know, maybe they just didn't want to run into each other. And then the other thing I thought is maybe this is just, and I don't mean this as black and white as it sounds, but maybe that's just what rich people do. Like, oh, maybe yeah. you just. You want your own space. Maybe you just. And if it's there, you take it. I'm going to stay in the guest house because why wouldn't I? Or maybe he just didn't like her. Yeah, we he wanted know. to be there for his brother, but now that he's there, he realizes his brother's never home. So I'm just going to go stay in the guest house. Right. Maybe he was mad at her and blaming her for Max's injury. That could be a possibility too. That's a question that comes up later as we learn more about what happened. There's all kinds of, I guess, reasonable explanations as to why he wouldn't have been staying at the house. Okay, so after getting back to the mansion, Adam says he went to sleep. 
Rebecca, on the other hand, had three different phone calls and several text messages with her oldest sister, Mary. And Mary would later say that during these conversations, Rebecca sounded like her normal self. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. There were no indications that anything was wrong other than, you know, the obvious concern over Max. Mary said that Rebecca sounded tired, but other than that, she sounded like Rebecca. And she said, quote, I wouldn't call her distraught. She was upset, very concerned and very worried over Max's condition, just like any caregiver or parent would be, end quote. Um, she said they talked about, you know, have mom call me in the morning. Rebecca wanted to make sure Zena made it home safe. Mary was the one who picked her up from the airport. They were making plans for like the next day. Definitely it didn't seem like a final conversation. Right. At 10.41 p.m., Rebecca received a text message from Max's aunt, Nina. Now, Nina is the twin sister of Max's mom, Dina. And this text message asked if she could come by the mansion to talk about what happened to Max. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like she thinks there's foul play and she wants to interview Rebecca. I can see that. I can also see just wanting closure. Now, I did read in one source that originally Dina, Max's mom, had been told that Max had suffered from cardiac arrest and fallen down the stairs. When Dina got that phone call from, I think it was Jonah, he didn't say, so he was playing on a scooter, blah, blah, blah. It was Max had cardiac arrest and fell down the stairs. Okay. Then, of course, she found out the extra details later. Right. So her initial thought when she first found out what happened was he had a, a heart issue and then fell down the stairs. Knowing that was the first thing she was told, maybe that's why Nina wanted to come over to, like, find out directly from Rebecca, who was there, what happened. Yeah, get the full story. Right. All the details. Tell me what happened. But at the same time, regardless of whether you did anything wrong or not, that makes me almost sick to my stomach for Rebecca. Oh, yeah. I would have been nervous. To have this person, the sister of the mother of this child, who ends up dying because of a fall that happened on your watch. Of course, they don't know that's going to happen yet, but right. it does. Say, can I come over and talk to you about what happened? That It literally gives me like anxiety just thinking about being in Rebecca's shoes at that moment. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Rebecca didn't even respond. At 12.30 a.m., Rebecca received a phone call, and Rebecca did not answer this call, but a voicemail was left. Now, authorities never specifically tell us who this call was from, but Rebecca's family has come out and said that this call was from Jonah. And here's the crazy thing. There's so much surrounding this voicemail. No one other than Rebecca and possibly police investigators have ever heard that voicemail. Records show... Rebecca did listen to the voicemail for two minutes at 12.50, so about 20 minutes after the call came in. She immediately deleted it. Police have said they are unable to recover this voicemail. The police say that this voicemail was Jonah telling Rebecca, we got bad news. It doesn't look like Max is going to make it. That's what police say would happen. And then that news prompts Rebecca to do what happens next. Rebecca's family says, how would we know we've never been able to listen to this voicemail and you're telling us that you can't retrieve that voicemail, which voicemails can be retrieved even after deleted, yeah, but I'm, certain steps have to be taken. I'm calling shenanigans. They, they have a whole department of people that can unlock the phone and, and retrieve things that have been deleted. Right. And get the records, get the information from like the phone carrier yep. that lead detectives said that they attempted to do these things. 
However, there's no documentation of this. There's no preservation letter going to the phone company. See, that's the first thing you send out. Right. There's no documentation saying there's a voicemail that we need to retrieve. So how do we believe them? So how, right. How do we believe that they actually tried? And this is where I listened to an interview with Mary, Rebecca's sister, who says, if that voicemail did in fact say, hey, this is Jonah. We just got bad news. Max is not going to make it. The police would have released that. It would have helped them. It would have helped them cement what they say happens next. So Mary says, there's no way that voicemail said that because everybody in the world would have heard this voicemail if that's what it said. What happens next really becomes even more curious when you take into consideration that she listens to this voicemail that nobody else has been able to hear. Approximately two hours after listening to this voicemail, Rebecca would be dead. So the next morning, July 13th, At about 6.45 a.m., Adam said that he walked outside of the guest house, and that is when he saw Rebecca's nude body hanging by the neck from a main house balcony. Her wrists and ankles were tied with the same type of rope, and her hands were tied behind her back. She had black paint smudges on her breasts. The palms of her hands and fingers were clean, and her feet were covered in dirt. The rope that she was bound with and hanging from was described as water ski rope, and it was the color red. Rebecca was gagged with a blue long sleeve t-shirt that was wrapped around her head several times with the sleeves double knotted and stuffed into her mouth. There was also what appeared to be tape residue on her legs, like around her calves. It looked like tape had been wrapped around tying her legs together like three different times. However, there was no tape found anywhere on the property. Adam called 911 at 6.48 a.m. Have you ever listened to this 911 call? I feel like I have once, but it was a long time ago. Okay, it's readily available. I encourage you, if you're not too disturbed by 911 calls, I know some people just really don't like them. And a lot of people have really dissected this call. And I'm no expert, but I do have a hard time reading too much into what, like, someone says in these high-stress moments. Just because who knows how you're going to react when you walk out of your bedroom and see your naked sister-in-law. Right. So he said something to the effect of, I got a girl hung herself. And some people think that alone right there is strange wording. That he didn't say my sister-in-law or my brother's girlfriend or... You know, Rebecca, he didn't say any of that. He just said, I got a girl hung herself. Some people find issue with that. Yeah, it's weird. Then he tries telling the dispatch operator where he is, but he doesn't know the address. So he tells them it's Ocean Boulevard, and he tells them it's the same place where they picked the little boy up yesterday. Only they didn't pick the little boy up yesterday. They picked Max up the day before. That wasn't really helpful. Him and the 911 operator go back several times she keeps asking for the address and he keeps saying i don't know it it's where you picked up the boy yesterday check your records she said sir i wasn't working yesterday i've checked the records there's nothing here eventually he runs to the front of the house presumably and sees the address and tells her the correct address but before that you hear him huffing and puffing and struggling and talking to someone presumably Rebecca, at one point saying, are you dead? Are you dead? And what we find out he's doing during that time is he's running into the house, getting a knife, taking it outside, pulling a broken patio table that was nearby over, climbing up on top of it and cutting Rebecca down and putting her in the grass. And he's doing all this 
While he's on the phone. While he's on the phone. Gotcha. And you can hear all of this going on. When the police do arrive, Adam just told them everything that happened. He did while he was on the phone with the 911 operator. It, she asked if Rebecca was dead. And he said, I don't know. I am doing chest compressions. She asked if she was beyond help. And at one point he goes, yeah, I, I think she's pretty dead. And we learn later that she was. Rigor mortis had started to set in in the jaw. She was cold. There would not have been any chance to bring her back at that point. At some point during all this commotion, Adam sends a text message to Jonah telling him what happened with Rebecca, telling him that he found Rebecca hanging. What do you think of that? That's not something I would tell anybody via text. Me neither. It just seems weird. At the same time, if you're in the middle of all this and you feel like, I need to let Jonah know what's going on, but, you know, I'm on 911 call. I don't know. When investigators look around the scene... They see that in the room where Rebecca was hanging from, there was a message written in black paint. It was the same paint that was on her breasts. And it said, she saved him. Can you save her? Which is totally weird and totally cryptic and really makes no sense given the situation at all. The rope that Rebecca was hanging from was tied to the footboard of the bed. That bed had moved about seven inches from its initial, you know, where it actually lived in the room. This has been reenacted by investigators several times. And every single time it's been reenacted, when the person or the dummy or whatever is thrown out the window, the bed moves about 28 inches. It's quite so a difference. Quite a difference. The bed was only seven inches away from where it actually was. They've never been able to recreate that. There was also a steak knife found in the second floor guest bedroom, which is where... She was found hanging. She was not in the master suite. It was a smaller bedroom with this little balcony. And when I say balcony, I mean literally it might be enough for two chairs out there. So there was a steak knife found on the second floor guest bedroom that had Rebecca's blood on the handle. There was no blood on her hands. She had no scrapes or cuts. This would later be discovered to be menstrual blood on the handle of a knife. There was also a chef's knife found in the bedroom. And this one had Rebecca's fingerprints on the blade. I'll just go ahead and tell you that police end up ruling this a suicide. We actually have two official rulings on this case. We have the uh, police ruling, which is that this was a suicide. Rebecca killed herself. And then we have a civil court case ruling that finds something different. But according to the police, Rebecca grabbed these two knives, unsure which one would work, used them to cut this rope that she'd found in the garage because both the knives, the rope all belonged to the house tied herself up, hung herself. Rebecca's nude. She's gagged. She's bound at the ankles. Her wrists are tied behind her back. And we're saying this is a suicide. I personally have a hard time with that. I do too. Let's start with the idea of hanging yourself nude. That's strange to say the least. Yeah, it's quite a statement if that's what really happened. Right. And most women are not going to expose themselves. To be found dead nude, it's almost like shameful. Who's going to do that to themselves? And then on your period. Okay, girl. That for me is the kicker. Because she wasn't wearing a tampon. And I I can hear all the men right now listening being like, oh, gross. But let me just say this as nicely as I possibly can. (laughs) Women should not have to be shameful about what happens to our bodies. Right. And if the details of a woman being on her period are what disturbs you most about this episode, you should reevaluate. Yeah, you're not really (laughs) listening to the story. Right. She was not wearing a tampon. She wasn't wearing underwear with any other kind of protection, but she's on her period. You're going to hang yourself nude while free bleeding? Mm-mm. I don't buy any of that. As for her arms and legs being bound, though it is rare, 
There are some instances where a suicidal person will tie themselves up before attempting suicide so that they cannot change their mind later. I have heard that. That is still rare. It's not something I would do. No. If I change my mind, I want to be able to change my mind. Exactly. But it's not unthinkable. It's not impossible. And police did find in the investigation that it would have been possible for Rebecca to get herself into these bindings. They actually reenacted it with a woman about Rebecca's size and height. And it is definitely possible. I hate to do this to y'all, but that's where we're going to leave it this week. We're going to finish off talking about this case. And there's so much more coming next week. It was just too much to tell you all in one episode. So don't miss next week where we find out more. And let me tell you, it's it's just as crazy. Yeah. Stay tuned. Absolutely. So Paula, on a lighter note, do you have anything for the Time to Kill segment? I do, but it's not lighter. <laughs> oh, no. There's no reprieve, guys. No reprieve this week. Remember that list of things that I read that happened to you after you die? I totally do. Okay, well, there's more. I actually find this really interesting. I like these. I do, too. I I think it's morbid but interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing them. Okay. Okay, so the first one is forensic scientists can tell how long it has been since death by looking at the species of insect on the body. Okay, I'd heard that. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen that in like 2020s and forensic files. Right. It's very interesting. Yeah, for sure. And also they can tell by if there's a certain kind of plant stuck in the shoe, you know, if it's indigenous to certain swamps yes. or whatever. It's yeah. so interesting. It's so fascinating. It you really, really can't almost fool anybody. You almost right. can't get away with anything. Yeah, it's so true. The skin around the finger and toenails dries and contracts after death, making it look as if they have grown. So you know how people say, oh, yeah, your hair and nails keep growing mm-hmm. afterwards. That's not true. It's just that the, the skin around the nails and toenails contract. Okay. Go back into the fingers and toes. Dead bodies swell up like balloons after four days due to the release of gases and liquids. Yeah, Gross. Yeah, it is. More than 7,000 people die annually due to doctors' bad handwriting. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. So like the orders would be read wrong or a diagnosis would be misread. Yeah, or it looks like one thing when actually it's another, but the pharmacist doesn't know that and they're giving the wrong medication. Oh my gosh. I remember talking about this with you on a previous episode. I do too. Where we talked about how I heard, I don't know that this is true, but that doctors are taught to use messy handwriting to protect themselves in the event that something happens to their patient. Yeah, medical malpractice. Yeah, so mm-hmm. for liability. So they can't read what they wrote in the event that they wrote the wrong thing. That would be interesting if it's true. Horrifying, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Jeez. And the last one is, left-handed people die three years earlier than right-handed people. Oh. Now, I've never heard that. I haven't either. And my boyfriend is left-handed, so... I hope it's not I'm true. I'm going to be alone. My mother's left-handed, and at least one of my little ones, if not both, of my little, little ones are left-handed. I wonder why. I don't know. That's so weird. Yeah. I know life is harder for left-handed people because everything's geared towards right-handed. Like, even trying to teach them to write. Like, I can't even imagine... Like on a spiral notebook, it's meant to go left or right. Yeah, just in scissors. Even like in grade school, I remember my little left-handed friends having a hard time just holding the scissors. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So October 30th is our one-year anniversary, and to celebrate, we're doing a giveaway. So we have partnered with Pies Abilities, which is this really cool candle company that helps employ those with disabilities, and they make these really awesome candles. And we have two candle scents. One is like this 
pine smell and it's called buried in a pine box and the other one is like a cinnamon spice and it's called just desserts and these candles are available for $20 you can go to our website but we're gonna give one away and you'll even get to choose which flavor you want all you have to do is leave us a rating and a comment like and follow our Facebook page and tell us that you did and we will enter you into a drawing how easy is that so easy takes five minutes if that yeah and you get a candle out of it so <laughs> why not <laughs> so please go ahead and do that it's super exciting it's super fun and check out pies abilities candle company as well lots of beautiful candles they smell so good they're slow burning my husband will come home after i've had one lit and he'll be like oh my gosh this house smells so good yeah no matter what flavor you get they all smell great amazing but get one of ours because they're super cute. They have our little logo on it, which That's is right. so cute. Everyone, thank you for listening. Check out our website for pictures and links corresponding to each episode at dollsanddoom.com. Follow us on social media and leave a comment. And remember, stay alive so you don't end up on the wrong side of the grass. Bye. Bye.